is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Complete Center's Guide. I am your host, Tyler Fowler, and with me is always my brother, Joshua Davison. Bro, what's going on, man? How are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm doing all right, brother. Um, it sounds like you got a little bit of uh, uh, lag there in your in your mic. I'm not sure if the if that's just me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right, bud. I'm, you know, just got home from work a little while ago. Uh, I got to do some electrical work today and that was nice and nostalgic for me, you know, and, uh, it mm-hmm. felt good. Uh, did, did a little bit of conduit work and this thing that's going to be a, an office for the vice president. And, uh, I, I, it looks like it was supposed to be there. And I like right it. On. <laughs> right <laughs> on. Right on, bro. To do that, you know, the vice president of what? Uh, of the oh of the organization I work for uh, an organization in Richmond California called the Bay Area Rescue Mission and cool. I'm the maintenance personnel and uh, part of the direction for the uh, the facilities uh, for the the rehabilitation center and homeless shelter and uh, the administrative building and a warehouse and a chapel and so I'm, nice. I'm the I'm I'm the Mr. Fix-It guy over at least five. Oh, they're going to be opening a sixth building actually by the end of the year called the Bridge of Hope. And it's a, it's a really cool thing. You know, uh, it's actually quite a privilege to work for a, uh, an organization that prays before all their meetings and things That's like that. Cool. And I'm able to, uh, you know, deliver some some hope to people that really just really need it, you know. Awesome. I heard vice president. I was like, wow, Washington, D.C. putting it in, in the White House or something. <laughs> nope, not, not quite that important. I just plunged the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> humble. Josh is so humble, man, and that's why I love him. So, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, what is going on? Thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight. For for those who don't know you, man, give give uh, you know our listeners just a little taste and um, and what you're about. You wrote a book called has american christianity failed yeah and and that i got it the other day man and it, it, it's blown me away i haven't finished it yet but it's blown me away but go ahead and introduce yourself sure and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit tonight yeah sure uh pastor brian wolfmuller i'm in round rock texas right now i i serve two congregations here in the austin area so saint paul lutheran church and jesus deaf lutheran church uh, a deaf mission south of Austin. So uh, both in Austin, Texas, been here for about two and a half years with my family, uh, wife and four children, uh, college, high school, high school, well, college, high school, graduate, high school, middle school. And um, before that, we lived in Colorado for 14 years and got a couple of books hanging around and website, wolfmuller.co and uh, YouTube channel, some podcasts, and I like to do everything I can to toss the the joy of the gospel out there into the world on the internet and whatever, and uh, and see where the Holy Spirit puts it for people to pick up. So that's a great joy of mine. Amen. Amen. And so just out of curiosity, how long have you been a Christian? How long have you been uh, a Christian? How long have you been a Lutheran? Or is this something that you've grown up uh, into? Or how did that all pan out for you? Sure. I'll give you the thumbnail sketch, and then you yeah. tell me what, what you want to dig into more. But So sure. I was baptized as a baby in the liberal Lutheran Church, progressive Lutheran Church, which is the ELCA now, also confirmed there. Uh, probably in middle school and high school, I, I don't think I, I – well, it's a tricky – I don't know how to diagnose it, but I was very angry with God. It was in mm. a 
you know, pretty severe state of rebellion against God, uh, came back and became interested then in the Lord's word and the and, uh, and a somewhat serious student of the Lord's word in high school and college and found myself in mostly evangelical circles. So Calvary Chapel, my uh, wife and I met at a campus group at a Southern Baptist church, was involved in all the campus ministries and high school navigators, campus crusade, intervarsity, and all of that. Um, but then as I was finishing college, uh, I was investigating a number of things theologically, discontent with the progressive mainline denominations, also began to grow discontent with the evangelical churches where we were. It just didn't seem like anything matched up with the with the scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and ended up wandering around. I think Carrie and I visited about every church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, where we got married. Our first daughter was born there. And investigating what the churches taught and what they believed and comparing it with the scriptures and ended up in a catechism class, a new member class at a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation. And we're grumpy the whole time, but couldn't we couldn't disagree with the teaching that that, that here was the simplicity of Christ from the scripture. So ended up joining the uh, so the Missouri Synod is conservative, Bible believing Lutheran church joined and. Went to seminary, and uh, that was about 2000 we went to seminary. 2005, I graduated from seminary and took my first call to Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Okay, right on, right on. So that's just been the... Uh, that that's so interesting because I grew up Baptist, and, and we were fundamental Baptist. And Me too. I, I ran away. I, I ran as far as I could... Uh, from Me God, too. <laughs> and, and we all right. And it was whenever I went to, and I don't, I'm not going to get into my whole testimony, but I ended up moving to Pensacola, Florida, and met, met this guy, and I love him to death. He's a guy that loved me. So the Lord's name was Hoot, right? Alpha Gibson was his name, and everybody called him Hoot. And he, this dude is the staunchest Calvinist you will ever meet. I promise. And I honestly didn't know that for the longest time because I've only been saved, I would say, for about five years now, roughly. Um, is whenever I really saw a dramatic change in my life, right? And I had no idea there was a difference. Like, I thought Christians were Christians. And then to hear there's Calvinists, and oh, wait, there's Arminians, and now there's people called Lutherans, right? And all these different denominations just kept popping up. I was like, so there is a very broad spectrum of Christians. And that was it impacted me a lot. And so what I've done in Josh now, you know, for anyone who's watched CSG, we're kind of diving into those different perspectives. So what's interesting, Pastor Wolf Mueller, you're the first Lutheran we've had on CSG. So congrats on that. Well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, um, but no, we really appreciate you coming on. And, and I just want to thank you personally for, you know, dedicating time and to doing what you do and then joining us on here. I really, really appreciate it. God um, be praised. Glad you did. <laughs> so real quick, let me ask you this, just jumping into it. Has American Christianity failed? What inspired you really to write the book? I mean, obviously maybe seeing, you know, things happening in our culture inspires us to do these things. Right. And, and we want to tackle it. But what was the thing that you were like, OK, something's wrong here and I need to address this? Sure. Well, um, for me, it was uh, becoming Lutheran from typical American evangelicalism. There was so much joy and assurance and freedom that 
washed over me from the scriptures okay that i wanted to share that joy with um with the world and so uh i i noticed there was I wanted to share it with two people. I was a, I was a pastor when I wrote the book. I, I wanted the my people who most had grown up Lutheran. I wanted them to know what they had. There's kind of it's like a theological spoon in the mouth. You you've always had the the clarity of the gospel. They didn't know what they were missing. But I wanted the rest of American Christianity to know that there was something more. That the that the typical shape of American Christianity had 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 leaned away from some of the biblical doctrines and that leaning away was a leaning away from assurance and freedom and peace. And mm-hmm. so I, I wanted to, I wanted to deliver that by showing the difference. So here's, you know, here's what American Christianity teaches. Here's what the Bible teaches. Here's where to find it in the church today. Here's why it matters. So that was the impetus behind it. Right on. Right on. And, and that's one of the things that, I mean, I kind of struggled with as a young Christian was assurance. I mean, I'm still a young Christian, don't get me wrong, but was assurance. And I do, if I'm being honest, kind of still struggle with it in the sense, you know, so let me ask you real quick, because I, I, I go to church with a buddy and he actually had this question. Uh, let me pull it up real quick. But he, uh, did, 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 let's see here. While you're looking, can I, can I ask yeah, you a yeah, question ahead, real quick? Yeah. Um, can I can I just ask out of curiosity because I'm like I said I haven't read your book or anything so I I'm, I might be shooting in the dark but what do you mean by assurance do you mean like a confidence in salvation mm-hmm. that's perfect yeah that's the way to say it so it's the it's this question is how do I know I'm a Christian how do I know I'm saved how do I know the ah. forgiveness of sins belongs to me how do I how do I know that where do I find that that confidence to hold on to it because so so much of my Christian life was. Well, it was on, it was in some ways it was on a pendulum and, and swinging back and forth between two extremes. And those two extremes were pride and despair. And, and I've noticed this now, not, it wasn't just me experiencing this. So it's like this. Well, sometimes I think, oh, you know, I've done pretty good. I've, I've been pretty successful. I've, I've kept God's commandments. God must be proud of me. Oh, that's pride. But then most mm-hmm. of the time is on the other side. Oh, I could do so much better. I could, I could pray so much more i could serve so much more i could not sin so much more and and god surely must be very upset with me and and my life was on this this pride and despair pride and despair back and forth between the two and what i realized was i was well there was a lot of things happening there but um but i was missing that confidence of knowing that jesus his death was for me was for my sins his blood is for my sins that I, that his life and his death and his resurrection is for me and to yeah. to have no question and no doubt that that is the the um that that Christ is my savior uh that was that was missing from the whole from the whole thing and there's a lot of reasons for that um there's a lot of theological contours that that strike away at that assurance uh that that I think the the Lutheran teaching addresses really quite well and beautifully. Fair enough. I mean, is it uh, maybe I'm, I'm kind of reading into what you said a bit because I like, forgive my ignorance, but it, you're not saying that you like don't experience doubt sometimes, right? Like, cause I think that's part of the human experience is to like question things. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Is, is, do you understand what I mean? Or is that like not, not at all what you meant? 
No, no, I, no, for sure. So we are, we're always praying like the man that comes to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And the devil just plants this seed of doubt into our minds here and there. And so you're driving along and all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe there's no God or you're driving along and you're like, well, you know, who, whatever, however that goes. Um, and so those doubts will come. But the question is, how do I address them? And where do I look for my confidence and assurance? Okay. And um, what, what's really interesting is that most people, we'll have to tell Tyler this when he comes back, <laughs> but, but most people will look for assurance inside of themselves or kind of downstream from faith. So I look into my heart to see if I'm really believing, or I look at my life to see if I'm really improving. And then I say, oh, well, that's going to be where I find assurance. And but, that, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, go, oh, so go, but, but those are all, there's some, there's some, those are not sure. I mean, our, our heart is not stable. It's not stable ground. Okay. So if we're looking into our heart for that, it's not there. And our good works are also unstable. Mm-hmm. So if we can't look inside of ourselves, and if we can't look at our good works for ultimate assurance or for sh- sure assurance, then, then where do we look? And I think that's probably the, that was the thing that sort of tipped me over towards the Lutheran doctrine is that the Lutherans came along and they said, you know what? Baptism really does forgive sins. And the the Lord's supper, the body and blood really does forgive sins so that I can look outside of myself, the word of God, really does forgive sins. So now I can look outside of myself at those things which are true and I can I can stand in and confidently stand on those things. Yeah. And that yeah. steadies me. I never but, Sorry Josh, go ahead. No, no, I was I, I mean I cuz I really like I like the way you explain that yeah. because I one of the things that I've been exploring recently is the the Eastern Orthodox Church because my mm-hmm. for in in some sense like the I grew up in this like iconoclast like you know, symbolism is a no-no and like, it just, you know, it's like the only thing that's a symbol is things that we can you use by analogy. They're not really supposed to have like a, you know, participatory meaning. Like you just described, like you're really getting forgiveness of sin and a cleansing, like in a, like you, you call it assurance, but it's like, in some sense, you're not necessarily looking at performance, but it's still part of the experience of being in the body that you're participating with those things as the sacraments being delivered, you're receiving from God directly, right? Like that's what you're saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I really, yeah. I like how you, I liked how you described that. Thank you. That was actually the question uh, that my buddy had uh, Jeremy church. He's watching now um, was do, is, is there a place for looking to ourselves, looking at our works to see, you know, for that assurance, but, coming back in and again my, my internet's spotty i apologize about that but looking to christ in the sacraments in the ordinances in that that's where our assurance is he is where our assurance is right there's so our works um yeah are a supplemental insurance okay. they are not the ground <laughs> of our assurance so it's like it's like a vitamin or in some ways it's like assurance dessert you know because it's because it's not a my own works are always just starting you know and never complete so the the fact that i do 
try to love my neighbor and the fact that I do try to forgive people that sin against me, that's an indication that the Holy Spirit's working in me. The fact that I try to face death with confidence, that I try to suffer with patience and all that, that's an indication of the Holy Spirit's presence and work within me. And I can I can have confidence that because the devil's attacking me, I must be, I belong to the Lord. But yeah. the problem is that's only a little piece of assurance. If it sits on top of the of the complete gift of assurance that comes from the fact that God's promises have been delivered to me, then it, it's it's like a cherry that sits on top of that full assurance. But if it's the only assurance I have, it's no assurance at all. Okay. That's so I like, okay. yeah, I like that. You, you know, you said indicators, there are indicators that we are Christians, right? Sure. We mm-hmm. can look at things that happen in our life and say, Hey, I, I, I really am saved. These things wouldn't be happening to me. Like I wouldn't be concerned about this. And you can just go on and on with it, but there are indicators that say, "Hey, I am a Christian." And the ultimate, you know, truth to that, and what we can rejoice in, is that we can rest assured that it isn't about our performance; it's about what Christ did in His life on the cross and His resurrection mm-hmm. as prophet, priest, king. Right. Right on. Exactly. Josh, I was going to say, this might be kind of a shift, but I was wondering, I remember in one of the videos that I saw on your YouTube channel, uh, you mentioned repentance. Um, And Mm -hmm. and Tyler and I both view the gospel, I think, in a a particular kind of way. Um, And and when we we say, you know, something like um, Jesus is king and his kingdom is everlasting— and his desire is for his people to come to him and participate in that kingdom. And they're cleansed by his blood and his sacrifice. And they receive a life eternal by his resurrection. Right. And then you continually participate in that life uh, in the in the body of Christ itself as the church. And, and we that's part of what you're receiving. But in order to receive that, there needs to be a repentance and an exercising of uh, like a faithful allegiance towards God. Right. Um, wh- how would you exactly explain the, the place of repentance in the process? Because I know a lot of people would like try to put on the brakes and, and think about well, you're talking about sacraments being salvific. That, that's works. It's like. I I don't want to think that it's that simplistic because I don't think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, um, so I want to. I kind of want to hear you out on what you. What do you understand what I'm asking? Yep, yep. So let me. I'll take a half step back one way and another way, and I'll come at it from two different directions if that's okay. So uh, the first idea that so a lot of people will say that the that baptism and the Lord's Supper, as examples, can't forgive sins because it's a work and works and we're saved by grace through faith. Um, the instinct there is wonderful. To, because it's true, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. The question is, though, whose work is it? So if baptism and the Lord's Supper was a work that we're doing, then certainly we would then exclude it from God's delivering of grace. But the scriptures will speak of baptism as the work of Jesus, for example, Ephesians five twenty four, where it says Christ uh, cleansed the church with the washing of the water and the word. So that we are the recipients of the salvific works of God. So we understand that baptism is a work of God, not a work of us. And that in that work, he delivers forgiveness to us. So um, so there's a great distinction that Luther will make. He'll say the forgiveness of sins was won once for all by the death of Jesus on the cross. It's distributed through the word and the sacraments. So Old Testament, preaching, circumcision, sacrifices, delivered the forgiveness of Jesus. 
And in the New Testament, preaching, baptism, Lord's Supper delivers the forgiveness of, of Jesus. So that the promise of forgiveness, if you just look for the forgiveness of sins in the New Testament, you find verses like, be baptized to have your sins washed away, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So that's Acts 2, Acts 10, um, or uh, Matthew 26 in the Lord's Supper. This is a couple of the New Testament in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So we see the promise of forgiveness connected to baptism in the Lord's Supper, not as our works, but as the works of Jesus brought to us. Hmm. Now, a lot the interesting thing is there's a kind of a Gnosticism in there that says that no, no, <laughs> if it's gonna be if it's gonna be gracious or if it's gonna be God's grace, it's got to be inside in the spirit, not outside. And we just have to fight against that Gnostic tendency because all the works of God are first on the outside. Like, for example, creation or the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's on the outside of us. And it Mm. comes to us from the outside in, in the preaching of the gospel, which starts on the outside in, baptism and the Lord's Supper, outside in. So, And that's where that assurance can come from. The Lord coming to us from these physical means outside in and bringing that promise to us. And Ah. then it's faith that grabs onto the promise. Okay, I think I understand what you mean when you say this kind of Gnostic tendency to make things almost like it has to be immaterial, wholly immaterial in order to be spiritual. And anything material has to be something more like a metaphor than anything actual, right? Am I following? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we say... Spirit and ma- we make that matter spirit distinction as a law gospel distinction. So if it's matter, it's got to be law legalism, and if it's oh. <laughs> spirit, it's gospel. That's wrong distinction. The gospel oh. is also of matter. That's why Jesus had to take on a mm-hmm. body yeah, so that he could save us. Yeah. yeah. And so, so then one the other t- angle of your question is repentance. So let's define yes. repentance this way: is There's a beautiful definition of repentance in the Augsburg Confession. That was a document written in 1530 um, when the Lutherans were there uh, and there was a Emperor Charles V said, hey, I'd like you guys to stop being Lutheran because the Turks are coming. What do you guys believe anyways? They wrote this beautiful confession, which became sort of the foundational document of the Reformation. And in Article 12, they talk about repentance specifically, and they say this, repentance embraces two parts. The first is contrition. And so that's the work of the law, the work of the Holy Spirit through the law of God, which comes to us and and teaches us or shows us that we are sinners who have broken the law of God, lived in rebellion against God, and because of that rebellion, deserve his wrath. So that's the first part. The second part of repentance is faith. And faith is the work of God, the Holy Spirit, through the gospel or the good news, which is that Jesus Christ has carried our sins and our sorrows, has suffered in our place. He is He has suffered the wrath of God so that uh, and delivered and won for us the forgiveness of sins. And that word of the gospel delivers the forgiveness of sins, so that knowing that I'm a sinner deserving of God's wrath, and then and then knowing that I have a Savior in Jesus, that's what it means to repent. And then the the fruit of repentance, like John the Baptist preaches, is that I now I now go and live a life of love toward God and the neighbor and in a life of patient suffering, a life of sanctification or good works. And that is the uh, 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 the small catechism says it like this from so this is again Luther 1529. 
the basic kind of teaching document says that I may live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, even as he lives, even as he is risen from the dead and lives and reigns for all eternity. And so, uh, so that now as his child, I live, I live under him in his kingdom and I confess Jesus as savior, Jesus as king, Jesus as Lord, Jesus, uh, is friend, Jesus as brother. I confess mm. all those things. Okay. Okay. Does that so make then, sense? You push back on that. What I want to make sure that well, I, I don't actually, I don't, I don't have a disagreement. I, I mean, I think the way that you described that is probably uh, a really perfect summary of the episode that Tyler, Tyler and I way back in episode five did an episode about repentance specifically. And it was really interesting because the two things that we wanted to hammer home and that, by the way, neither of us, I don't think are catechized, right? Like I'm, I'm, I've never, right. I've never went through any kind of process like that. And so no. just the fact that I think both of us were, were able to intuit almost the same thing, but not remotely in the same kind of really condensed formalized language. But ultimately what we were aiming at is trying to show the difference between the first moment of repentance that you associated with contrition from mm-hmm. the life of repentance thereafter that is in, empowered by the spirit uh, and and our participation with what it is that God is putting into us is what we're kind of working out of us in that process. But the first repentance is almost distinct from the life of repentance. Am I, am I still following? Yeah, you are. Although we want to be careful. So one of the dangers is that we put repentance into like a mathematical formula. Okay. Um, and have like the first repentance, the second repentance, the pre-repentance. The I, I think we just want to be careful. Uh, the um, the Roman Catholic Church does that, and the it's one of the marks of Pietism. Also, a specific kind of uh, branch of Protestantism that it always wants to put that way of salvation into a kind of distinct chronological uh, order. But mm. I think we would say it when Jesus says. Um, if any would follow me, let him take up his cross daily so that yeah. every day the Lord is dealing with us according to his law, his commandments, his His commands, and according to his gospel, his promised mercy. And and every day the Lord is dealing with each one of us. So that f- when we become Christians, it's the first time the Lord deals with us according to his law and gospel, but he's dealing with us our whole lives that way. And so... So every day is, uh, I, I think, so the first of the 95 theses that Luther posted on the church door, that, so it's coming up, the 504th anniversary, August, October 31st, um, is the, f- the very first of the 95 theses is when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that our entire lives would be lives of repentance. So that, yeah. so that we don't want to think of repentance as like a, a one-time deal. But as a as a constant reality, drowning the the flesh, raising a light according to the spirit, and so forth. Right, right. Well, I think I think the reason why um, I think the reason why we framed it that way is because we're coming from this kind of like super Protestant kind of um, you know it's it's weird because it, it the I'm more that on. the more that the more that we kind of <laughs> deviate off the liturgical model of the church, the more I think that we kind of. Um, are almost uh, it's like we're like we're separating things that aren't supposed to be separated, kind of like you said. Um, but again, I didn't grow up in that model of of church. I grew up in the model of like we sing for thirty minutes and then we hear uh, the the pre through the this this section of the scripture or what have you, and then 
um, we we pray, and then it, it's still it's still. I mean, it's loosely liturgical because it's the same every single time, and we all participate. But it's like it's not quite as uh, let's say formal in the same way. And I just it, for me, it's kind of like this disconnect. But I kind of intuit the same thing that you're describing, and so it really clicks with me. Um, and I think that's why I've been really more curious about liturgical services recently. And it's kind of interesting that we get to talk to you this way, because again, like, I, I don't know anything about your, your book and I've never actually learned much about Lutheranism specifically. So this is kind of cool to hear how much of this makes a lot of sense to me intuitively. Josh, let me ask you this real quick. Do you think that maybe not liturgical is the right word, but for lack of better words, I'll use it. Do you think the more liturgical a service or a worship service is, the more intimate it could be with God in that sense? Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by that kind of language, I suppose. To, like, sure. Kind of based on what, what I've been hearing so far in this episode is like, it's not necessarily like intimacy, intimacy with God, like something private, but something in, uh, let's say, better proximity because you are within the body of Christ. You're within the... Um, let's say that like, it's almost like the cathedral plays the Ark of the Covenant is kind of how it, mm-hmm. it, it seems with the, the, um, the, the Eastern model is it's like, this is, this is the kind of thing that I'm deriving. It's very much like you're inhabiting the narrative space of the gospel and the revelation. And that's what you're participating in. And when you receive the body and the blood, it's literally becoming part of you, like a, you know, any other kind of food would, but in some sense, you're also becoming part of Christ as he, let's say, consumes you and assimilates you into his body. You consume him and assimilate him into your body. And it just, like, it it makes sense to me. Like it does. You there, Tyler? You're lagging pretty hard, bud. Um, I might I might piggyback Josh on what you said there because oh yeah go the, what you said is right and beautiful and wonderful and almost beyond comprehension but there's something even more wonderful and and I think we can get there this way is if we said we just asked the question what is worship like why do we go to worship and most people will say well right. worship is I'm I'm offering to God my praise and adoration for who he is and what he does. Okay. And, 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 and the, and so people will say, well, you know, like the big difference say between like the, um, the contemporary praise music and like the Orthodox liturgy, we're all offering, but in the contemporary praise music, I as an individual am offering it. But as the, when I come to the right. Orthodox liturgy, we as the community are offering it. But right. I, so I would suggest this, and this is kind of mind blowing stuff. When Jesus gathers around his disciples to give the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday, he says, uh, who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at the table? And yet I am among you as the one who serves. And so worship, let's just define it this way. Worship is being served by Jesus. So he comes down to us just like he came down from heaven. He comes down to us in the word and in the bread and wine with his body and blood and in the water with his promise and baptism. He comes down to us to serve us. Jesus says, I uh, did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So that in worship, the main thing is that Christ is there serving us. 
And we come to the divine service chiefly to be blessed and served by him, to have our sins forgiven, to have our consciences cleansed, to, to, to receive courage and wisdom from the word and from the word of God. And then we offer our thanks and praise and petitions and, and interact and do all the things that are happening at the heavenly throne. We do all of those things as well. But the main thing is that, is that uh, Jesus is coming to us. So St. Paul says it like this, let no one say, where's Christ? I must ascend to him and to find him in heaven or go down to the pit and drag him up from the grave. No, he's near to us in the word that's preached. So that in the word, especially, Jesus comes down straight to us and, and gives himself to us. It's an amazing, complete 360 or wait, 180 turn on how we think of what worship is. That's really interesting. Um, it's, it's funny because I, like I, I told you right before the show, I actually attend a Calvary Chapel. And it's, it's funny be, because it, there's not much difference between how I think my, my pastor would describe uh, what you just described only. I think the difference is the language being used in some sense. Um, but I, I feel really thankful right now that I have such a really solid pastor that I'm under. You see it like, I, I really, I really love my pastor um, because I feel like he's really been part of the push for me to, to be the kind of person who would like read the same passage over and over and over and over and never expect to get to the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just to mm -hmm. always return back to that well so you can drink just as deep. It's never going to run out anyway, but it's not like you're ever going to grow tired of its flavor if you're really drinking the same way, you know? And so it's like that that kind of he I think he puts an emphasis on me being uh in a in a place to participate with what God wants to do. Um and that kind of maps on really well with what you're describing as in terms of like, because when you said, what is worship? Um, probably a year and a half ago, before I started studying the things that I've been interested in recently, I probably would have said something like, oh, it's the position of your heart before God when you're in, when you're praising or like you know, something approximating what you said is showing him your attention and reverence and so forth. Um, but now I would say it's probably condensed into something like, um, like, uh, will willful engagement and participation with what God is doing for me. And that's kind of what you just said, but like a lot more drawn out, I'd say in detail, but I, I feel like I really am kind of clicking with what you're describing. Um, but, but almost like it's weird. Cause I, I, I feel like you're describing it in a way that I really, I really like, by the way, you're a really great speaker and I appreciate that. But I, I, I like the way that you're describing these things because they seem to kind of, uh, let's say map on to what I've been considering recently and kind of uh, uh, I like to say, I like to say it this way, give me a hook to hang my hat on in some yeah. sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. It's Christ centered. I was just sitting here actually looking at a quote from, from your book and you said American Christianity teaches the centrality of the individual and more often than not preaches the Christian rather than the Christ. And this entire time we've been talking, about Christ and centering this discussion on him. Um, but if, if I can kind of shift focus a little sure. bit, talk about that a little bit. What is it in, in, in different churches? Because this isn't just a denominational thing like you, like you raise that in your book. This is broader than that, much broader. Mm -hmm. And so how would you describe what's going on whenever it comes to that aspect of American Christianity? Well, it's a, probably a historical thing. I mean, how okay. American evangelicalism developed out of, I mean, the two greatest influences on typical American Protestant 
kind of Southern Baptist Bible churches and so forth is number one, Calvinism, mm-hmm. the first great awakening, Jonathan Edwards. And then the second is revivalism, second great awakening, um, Charles Finney. And it's a, it's a very curious thing because like at, and Josh, you would probably, I mean, these ha- always at Calvary Chapel, the question is, well, what's the role of the will in salvation? And it's kind of confusing because Calvinism would say the will plays no role at all. Arminianism would say, no, no, we have a free will to choose God. Well, American Christianity comes from the Calvinist tradition, but it's all about the free will. I mean, probably the most influential theologian uh, of any sort of recent would be Billy Graham, whose magazine was Decision and who was famous for having – huge rallies, crusades in which he would have altar calls where a lot of all people would make a decision for Christ. And that idea of the decision for Christ is a very Arminian thing, a very free will thing kind of layered on top of Calvinism. Mm-hmm. So, so we've just come to this place where we have a, 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 a we have just have a kind of a layer cake of theology and it's, and it's, it's muddled our American thinking. The, the one of the results of that is that, most American Christians have almost given up on on coming to any sort of idea of theological certainty because it seems so muddled. Like, can you lose your salvation or not? It's the Calvinists that say you can't lose your salvation. The Arminians say you can lose your salvation. But then you have this. So, like, what are we? What is the role of the will? What is the are, are we monergist or are we synergist? What is the role of the sacraments? Uh, because Calvin again said. You should baptize babies, but the Baptists, who even the Calvinist Baptists say, no, you can't baptize babies. So there's a, <laughs> there's like a, almost like a theological despair. Yeah. Like I, I, I can't investigate this, and then and so my whole religious life becomes the experience. Mm. What do I? How do I experience God? How do I experience the presence of God? It's a very anti-intellectual or anti-confessional, anti-dogmatic. Okay. more experiential life. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the, well, it's funny because last night, or not last night. Sorry. Friday night, this weekend was a blur. Anyway, Friday night, <laughs> Tyler and I were talking about almost exactly that. And I was, we were describing how it's like, like you described kind of a pendulum thing between the ultra dogmatism or this kind of just me and Jesus under the old oak tree complacency of, I don't need to go any deeper. I just love Jesus. And it sounds pious and sounds right. But really in practice, it's like you're, 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 you're robbing yourself in some sense, by not seeing the depth that is there and getting at least whatever it is that you like, imagine no, not everybody's bucket is, is the same size, but you should have as much water in your bucket as you can carry, right? Whatever size it is, you should have it full as much as possible. And it's like, why would you not want more? Why would you not want to dig? Why would you not want to grow and learn? And maybe I, I've, I've always desired to learn. I never really did well in a scholastic environment, but I really like to learn. Um, I, and I feel like I catch on to things pretty quickly once they're explained. Um, but there, there's, there's kind of this also this hesitancy in me because of the way that I've seen this happen where people do derive from their, their, let's say, wealth of knowledge, this kind of satisfied certainty, and then it begins to manifest itself in something like, um, like this, this, if, if you would just know what I know, then you would understand, you could, yeah. you know, be in the know. And it's like, that's not, I don't think that's the right attitude either. And I think the, the way that we see this is Satan likes to play in these pendulum extremes. 
Yep. Um, and, and I think that you're, you're, you're right about that. And this is, um, that's something that we actually were, we're literally just talking about, uh, in some pretty good detail. So I think that the way that, the way that people, because it's not necessarily all churches outside of the Calvinistic tradition that are like that, but it, it is kind of this, like the stereotypical prominent idea that's kind of permeating in the, in the ether, let's say that like, you know, me and Jesus, just me and Jesus. That's my right. relationship with God. And it's like, yes, you, the individual, you're saved. You are in Christ. Yes. But that means in Christ, you are in Christ. And the body of Christ is not just you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think there's probably, I, I've been through sort of, you work through phases on like, what question am I asking of when I turn to the Bible? And a lot of people, when they first start reading the Bible, They've got this idea. It's basic instructions before leaving earth. I open the Bible and I'm asking, what is this telling me to do today? Which is fine, but we can't stop there. Or how is this bringing me closer to God? Something like that. It's fine. You can't stop there because you then have to ask the theology question, which is how is this text revealing God to me? Or how, maybe even better, how does this text reveal God? So there's a, there's a moral reading of the text and that's that first one. There's a theological reading of the text, but that oftentimes becomes distasteful because you're just now, or you're starting to argue, you know, mm. or you're or arguing. You have to read it theologically, but there's a, another question, which is how is this text bringing me the kindness and comfort of my savior, Jesus, and, and, and bringing that to me and to my family, to my neighbors, to my friends, and that's the chief question. Romans 15, 4 says through the patience and comfort of the Holy Scriptures, we might have hope. Mm. So how is this text delivering me patience and comfort and hope in Christ? Yeah. And if we start asking that question, mm. then all the other, then, then the theology question can come with joy. Then the ethical question can come with freedom. But we have to ask the Christian question because the Jesus says, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have life, not knowing that they testify of me. Yeah. So that we, we, we open the scriptures and we, and we, we know that it's covered in the blood of Jesus and it's covering us with the blood of Jesus. And now it just starts to open up for us. That's really interesting. What you just said that the word is, is covered in the blood of Jesus. I think this, this might just me be shooting in the dark, but I kind of am, it feels like what what that would mean is that maybe like is reading the scripture also another sacrament in some sense it is the sacrament okay so okay. so so, so I, baptism again, has forgive my ignorance cuz no, no, like no. i said I, I'm, no I'm, no I'm, you're I'm, fine I'm, I, I mean i'm saying that but nobody else would probably say it but baptism is baptism because it's the water plus the word and the yes. lord's supper is the lord's supper because it's the body the bread and wine and body and blood with the word it's the yes. word that the Holy Spirit uses to bring the, the gospel and the forgiveness of sins to us. So, so the word is the, we sometimes talk about the means of grace, baptism, Lord's Supper, absolution, but the word is the means of grace. It is the instrument of the Holy Spirit to, to deliver the, the kindness of God to sinners. 
Yeah, you really sound a lot like my pastor, Pastor Wolf Mueller. You, you really do because <laughs> whenever I was, I mean, just getting started in the Christian walk, and Josh can even testify to this because he went through it as well. I was so into the theology of the scriptures, but I totally missed that practical aspect. And Josh and I were just, and even uh, David Russell, uh, the host of Proselytize or Apostatize, he, we were talking about the other night, and I feel like I've missed it for the last five years because there is that practical aspect of the scripture that does apply to me today and in comfort and peace in God. And not only that, but instruction, right? Like instruction on how to treat my neighbor and how to, how to be like Jesus. And it's the theology that goes into that as well that makes that kind of full circle. And, and this is the motivation to do that, right? The theology behind it and, and, and Jesus. And it's like, I think people miss that. And I, cause I know I did, I was so hooked on the theology that I totally missed the practical side and vice versa. There, there's three parts of us that we, there, you know, there's our mind and our will and our hearts and the, Temptation is always to self-justify or to make ourselves right according to these things. And what often happens is kind of American, typical American Christianity is I want to make myself right by acting right, moralism. Mm -hmm. And but then when people start to become they start to become interested in theology, like, well, it's not the right life because uh, I know I need the forgiveness of sins, but it's going to be the right doctrine. And that's an, that is a, an attempt to self-justify according to the mind. Or one right. of the problems with like contemporary worship is I've got to have the right emotion, the right emotional experience toward God. So yeah. all three, will, moralism, mind, rationalism, heart, mysticism is trying to, with my own equipment or tools or whatever, to climb up into heaven or to make myself right with God. Whereas the truth of the scriptures is that the Lord comes down and forgives, forgives us. Yeah. So he comes right to us and he is justifying us by forgiving our sins. So I'm not reading the scriptures so that I have a right life or that I have a right doctrine or that I have a right heart. I'm reading the scriptures so that Jesus can say, you are right with God. And now all those other things follow as the fruit of it. And, 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 and now I'm free to try to love, to try to serve, to try to explore doctrine sure. under the umbrella of the Lord's kindness. Sure. So it's kind of like if you're, it, it's almost like being saved or, or being regenerate or, or not being regenerate, but trying to be a Christian. It doesn't work. You have to have your focus on the right thing in order for those other things, those secondary things to start flowing forth. Right. Mm -hmm. and, okay. Joshua, um, what you got anything to add to that, Bob? Like, what are your thoughts on? Um, I, I mean, I'm, I, I, I really don't have anything. You've to, left like, Josh speechless. Necessarily, <laughs> I, I, I don't have anything to disagree with. I, I really like, I like. I said, I, I appreciate that you're really a good speaker. Like, you have a really good cadence yeah. to your voice. Like, it's very listenable. So, I, I'm not really thinking of something to say when I'm listening to you. I'm listening. <laughs> Um, that's that, nice. I, I, I feel like that's a good thing because, you know, Tyler knows me. I usually have like 10 things running through my head all yeah. at once. And uh, it's really difficult to sort through the, the, the muck when, when I'm thinking because I have this kind of like tendency for, let's say, ADD kind of, you know. Um, so it's, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just kind of hearing and absorbing right now because, yeah. um, like I said, I, 
I don't, I don't know anything about Lutheranism other than the last 45 minutes. Um, and yeah. so this has been kind of a, uh, a, a nice deluge of, of new information, let's say, but it's not really all that new necessarily because mm. uh, Tyler knows too that like I, um, when I first started investigating, uh, you know, Christian doctrines and stuff, let's say when I was about 21, 22, when I first came back to the faith and I got really interested, um, the first thing I clinged on to because I have like this intellectual bent is that I really clinged on to Calvinism. Um, and then after a long time, I kind of just, came to a place where I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't honestly say that I agreed with it anymore. And now I don't, I don't actually ascribe to any form of Calvinism, but I, I have a lot of disagreements with Arminianism as well. And so I think that it's, it's almost like God, I, I feel like my experience has been something approximating wandering in the, in the wilderness, but finding God's manna nonetheless to be fed. Uh, and, and so I, I feel like what I'm, what I'm doing is just trying to find out, um, you, if you want to find out where to get food, you look for somebody who looks fed. You know what I mean? Um, it, it just makes sense to me. So you seem like you're, you're, you are confident in what you're saying. I don't, not even seems like you are confident in what you're saying. And I can appreciate that. And it makes me want to listen. In so, other words, Josh just hit the man of field. <laughs> <laughs> well, God, but look, well, I'm, I'm starving here, too. My interest. I, I still, I, there's a lot about Calvinism philosophically that I just don't think is necessarily copacetic for me, but yeah. I, I really appreciate, like I said, this, that my heart feels drawn right now to something uh, that is, is, is attached to what I see in the liturgy and the, and the, the, just the, because for, for me, I'm, I love storytelling. I love stories. I love uh, imagery. I love, I've, I've come to love recently uh, a, a more narrative structure of looking at the world and my participation and, and, and experience in it. And uh, the way that, like symbolism seems to really happen in real life. And it's not like just an idea. It's like what you, what we're doing all the time is trying mm -hmm. to embody those things that become the symbols that we aim at. And it's like, okay, whatever it is that I'm trying to receive is what I'm going to become. And that's basically what you're saying. And it really does like seem to make sense to me. Um, so I, I feel uh, in some sense, my, I like the, the burning in my spirit to, to like want to, let's say, go to uh uh not only the the eastern orthodox uh service that i've been trying to want to go to but also like let's say a lutheran service because again this is piquing my interest and though i don't necessarily mm -hmm. think it's gonna like convince me of calvinism just to be in the building but like to really see the way that this kind of unfolds itself because it isn't just like i i you know um the the same as what i'm used to it's not at all the same as what i'm used to and i expect kind of a culture shock experience you know um but I don't really feel a culture shock while talking to you. And so that kind of encourages me, you know? It's a culture shock. Well, you, so the Lutherans are not Calvinist. In fact, my, the, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod um, mm -hmm. started when in the Prussian Union back in 1850 or 1830 or something, they said, you, you, the Lutherans and the Calvinists have to worship together. And a bunch of these old German Lutherans said, no way, we're leaving. We're going to the United States. So the whole church body started because they didn't want to worship with a Calvinist. <laughs> so um, we, we would probably be cousins to Calvinists and Episcopalians, but there's some real clear distinctions, really clear. For example, um, the Lutherans are radically against limited atonement and will confess with all of our heart and mind that mm. Christ died for everyone, absolutely everyone. The Lutherans are for 
predestination, but but profoundly against double predestination. The only predestination is the election of grace, not the election of damnation. So that salvation is not the choice or the muster of God. And uh, and uh, the Lutherans, uh, while the Calvinists would have the doctrine, say, of the real presence, and they would baptize babies, according to Calvin, the Lutherans have a would say, no, those things are, in fact, the forgiveness of sins. In fact, I would trace most of the error, the dangerous errors that 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 d- disturb most Protestants. So if you're a Protestant out there and and you have the common Protestant experience of, ah, sometimes I think I'm a Christian and sometimes I think I'm not, and that and, and that back and forth, that comes from Calvin, who says that we have to distinguish between two types of calls. The external call of the gospel, which is for everyone, even the reprobate, and the internal call of the spirit, which is only for the elect. And what that does, that separation, that pulling apart the two calls, means that the external call of the gospel and the preaching, I can't know if it's for for real. The mm. only real, the only real place to find assurance is on the inside. And so I think the um I think a lot of the problems that most Christians individually wrestle with come from that Calvinistic underpinning of separ- of separating the two calls and and making the heart the the only theater or the chief theater of theological or spiritual action. Uh, and that's where it gets dangerous. That's interesting because I actually have heard from um, uh, in general and even considered myself the fact that what – one, because I, like I said, I used to be more Calvinistic, uh, at, at least, um, like holding to the, the, the five points and so forth. Right. Um, but having, having the feeling that this kind of like, you know, preset, I either, either I am or am not, and I have no real like you said, like tangible, something that God has left for me to say here, this is for you. This is for you. But instead it's like, um, I I think Tyler and I've had this conversation before where it's kind of like that light bulb moment where like, now it's on. Oh, and you have this experience and then you like, and I'm not saying the experience is not genuine, but you have an experience and then you associate that thing. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you live by the experience, you die by the experience. And, and mm. you know, any experienced Christian realizes that. I mean, sometimes you feel close to God. Other times you feel far from God. And the point is, is can I trust that feeling? And the answer is no. I, you, of course I can't. So so John says it like this. So First John chapter 5, he says, if our heart assures us we have confidence before God, if our heart does not assurance, assure us, we have one who's greater than our hearts. Mm-hmm. But But— but do we? This is the question. Do we Christians have someone greater than our hearts? And so much of the problems, I mean, this is all across the board with Christianity. Is, no, my heart is the greatest thing. So if my heart feels close to God, then, then okay. But if my heart feels far from God, I don't have any other authority, any place to go. I mean, like most of the work that I do as a pastor is people say, well, this is what I feel. And I say, well, so what? I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I feel far, pastor, I feel far from God. Well, what does he? What does Jesus say? Mm-hmm. He says, "I'll never leave you or forsake you." So your heart, your feelings are wrong. Or, Pastor, I I just don't feel forgiven. Well, what does Jesus say? 
be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Or, Pastor, I just don't feel like we're supposed to stay married. What does the scripture say? You shall not commit adultery. God hates divorce. What was so like when 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 did it matter what you feel? Mm. Like uh I mean we we are feeling people, but our feelings have to serve the scripture, not the other way around. And if if yeah. the scriptures are serving our feelings, then then we're always going to be treading water in the, in this sort of whirlpool of our own emotions, and it's a disaster for for faith. And I think that's the danger of shifting back and forth with that, because if you're stuck in that mind frame, you get in the habit of shifting. You're 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 pious in one in one moment, and then the very next, you're so downtrodden on yourself. You so feel guilty. You're lagging again, there, bud. Uh, sorry. Um, I think, I, I think I, I, I understand what you're saying too. It's kind of like this, um, like you can't, you can't always feel like you're on top of the mountain mm-hmm. in that moment where you notice that you feel like you're in the Valley. You kind of question if you were ever on the mountaintop to begin with, you know? Um, and I, I can identify with that for sure because I, you know, and that's kind of what I meant earlier when I said, do you mean that you like never experience doubt? Because I don't think that's what you mean. Obviously that's not what you mean. What right. you mean is you never take your doubt more seriously than you take the scriptures, something like right. that. Right. That's right. Um, and, and I think that's, I think that's good wisdom. Um, but on the opposite end, what do you do when these doctrinal stances and theological propositions are not satisfying that doubt? And you have that fear creeping in and then you go and it, it like, because I've experienced, let's say I've, I've, I've experienced uh, depression um, and we've done an episode on depression and a lot of getting out of depression is in fact pushing yourself to do more and aim higher and be participatory with those around you and push outward, push outward, not inward, push outward. So all of your attention gets focused away from the inside because the inside has become kind of like a prison. And what I feel like is it sounds like you're saying like the, the American church has become like a depressed body and it's looking too much inside and becoming trapped. And then it does, it needs to push its attention outward to what God has provided for us in front of us that we get to participate with. Right. And it's, it's almost like, um, because like I said, I'm kind of like a, a an imagistic kind of person. I like I like thinking this way and it seems to make sense to me to kind of do this. And that's how a lot of this stuff has ended up being mapped on so easily to my thoughts, I think. Yeah, yeah. That it's all very visual. Like it is material. You're looking at bread and a cup, and it's like <laughs> it's literally in front of you. You, you put it in your literal mouth and right. you actually you consume it and it becomes part of you. Not even just a metaphor. Literally, it becomes part of you. And yep. I think it's just like it makes it makes so much sense to think this way and to interact mm-hmm. with God in this way. Why else would you be in a body, you know? Mm-hmm. Every gift of God comes through our body. Right. It, uh, I mean, it's amazing. So we have to resist this Gnosticism. I had not thought of it as depression, but uh, but I think that's a really profound insight because one of the things that happens is in depression or any mental illness or any sort of emotional instability is our emotions start to have reference to, to our emotions rather than things on the outside. So like I would go and, 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 you know, visit someone with depression and, and they were crying. I said, why are you crying? And they said, well, because my, my daughter's dying. 
I said, well, that's, you should be crying. That's why, that's what crying is for. Right. You're, you're not depressed. You're, you're sad and you're right. But another time, why are you crying? I don't know why I'm crying. I'm crying because I'm sad or I'm angry because I'm sad or I'm frustrated because I'm angry or I'm sad because I'm frustrated. And, and when your emotions start to have reference to themselves, to the, to the internal life, then you, st- you lose all your footing. You're in the whirlpool. Yeah. It's and, cyclical. Yeah. And this happens spiritually too. So why, why am I a Christian? Cause I have faith. Well, in what I have, I have, I have faith in my own faith. I trust the fact that I believe. It's fideism. I have faith and faith. Trust and trust. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember one time, I, I was telling the story of the congregation this week. I went to see um, Linda, who you'll meet in the resurrection. Just a lovely, lovely woman who's always afraid that she only believed because her parents believed. That's the only reason she was a Christian. And she was dying. And she said, Pastor, I just don't think my faith is strong enough to save me. And I said to Linda, uh, I think you're right. I don't think your faith is strong enough, but your Jesus is strong enough to save you. And your Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell the mountain to go into the sea. Amen. So Jesus is strong to save. And strong faith is faith that knows that Jesus is strong, is just is knowing that Jesus is strong to save. So it's the object. It's just that it's the strength is not in the clinging in 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 my clinging but my the it's in what am i clinging to so right a very weak faith in a very strong savior will it, it brings us to the resurrection so i'm less concerned about myself and my own sort of state and much more concerned about jesus and what he gives and that's really where the rubber meets the road isn't it it we we take the focus off of ourselves i mean that's really what we've been talking about all night is we take the focus of ourselves and we put it on jesus he is the strong one right he's the strong man who 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 binds the weak man we are fallible we are weak in our faith as humans yes even regenerated people like myself i sometimes struggle with doubt that's what it means to be human and guess what I think it's okay. That's what it means to be human. And yet our Savior, like you just said, uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller, our Savior is who does this. Our Savior is who accomplishes this. This is his work. And we thank, and, and thank God for it. We get to be the participants in that. We get to participate in that. And, and at what? At what cost? Literally faith. Literally faith. That mustard side seed you know, faith. And, and it's amazing. Uh, David Russell, he said it in the comments. He said, this conversation has brought the awe back into the conversation. And I agree with him a hundred percent. It really has. Whenever you view God, not from just a theological lens or from a merely a practical lens, it does bring the awe back into it. Whenever you can balance those things out. Um, can I can I just say real quick that I I, I feel like I uh, I feel like I I've gained a lot from from this conversation. I mean, obviously, I'm not a, I'm not a Lutheran right now, so I I, I don't necessarily want to like overshoot. He's about really, that close. I want to say thank you, <laughs> and I really appreciate your time and the clarity. Um, because, like I said, I haven't read your book, but having heard you out rather than on a presentation to a room full of Lutherans, instead asking from the position of my own ignorance mixed with my intuition, I feel like I'm kind of, um, I, I really think that I'm understanding 
at least a good portion of what you're describing. And uh, I just, I really appreciate the way that you're able to articulate that. And, you know, um, I, I think that there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, a warm spot in my heart now for, for learning more about Lutherans in general. So thank you for that. God be praised. Yes. And Michael Starr said it, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. Um, Pastor yeah. Mueller, one more question. Um, sure. You've got just a second and yeah. then I will, and we'll wrap up. What, if there's anything left, you got, you know, five, 10, take, take however long you want. But if there was one more thing left to say that you would want to tell anyone watching, no matter their circumstance, believer, unbeliever, whatever, what would that be? I, I saw in the chat, I don't know if this is a true mm -hmm. thing. I saw someone mention the prodigal son oh, and yeah. thinking about the prodigal son. This is one of my most favorite things to think about. And, 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 and maybe just to this, if I could just say a couple of things to maybe open up that parable. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to suggest that we can think of that parable in terms of three slaveries. And, and the first slavery is the obvious one, and that's the slavery of sin. And that's the younger son who gets the inheritance and he goes away and he does what he wants. Mm. If we chase after our desires, the fleshly desires, that the devil presents that as freedom. Do what you want. You'll be free. That's slavery. Whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. That's the way of death. That's obvious. But there's a second slavery, and that's the slavery of despair. Mm. And that's the son who realizes what he's done. And he comes back and he's rehearsing this speech. And remember what he says. He says, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Mm -hmm. I always thought that word was slave, but in the in the Greek, it's the word mystos or mystikois or something, which means a day laborer. Not, not, I'm not even worthy to live in your house. You got to come and get me on the corner and I'll come and work for you. Despair, theological despair means that I want to I want to serve God I want to be God's servant so that I could earn something from him. But the father won't have it. He sees the son, he lifts up his robes, he runs to him, he takes him up in his arms. He, he the, the son starts the speech, I'm not worthy to be called your son and he cuts him off. He puts on the son's ring, he puts on the son's shoes, he puts on the son's robe, he kills the fatted calf, he throws a party and he says, "My son has returned." God wants sons, not slaves. Children, not slaves. Mm. But there's a third slavery, the slavery of pride which is what Jesus is getting after. And that's the most subtle. And that's the older brother who the, here's the party, asks the servant, what's going on? Your brother's returned. He stay, he pouts in the field. The father comes to him and he, remember what he says. He says, my whole life I've served you so that this is the, the, the idea that I've done enough to make God happy mm. that I've somehow deserved something from him. This is the slavery of pride. Mm. And the father says, Son, everything I have is yours. It was right for us to make merry. So that all of us are always tempted with these three, the slavery of sin, the slavery of despair, the slavery of pride. But Jesus comes to us and he says, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. If the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Let no one put you into bondage. And the freedom that we have as the children of God is the death and resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. 
And that there is nothing better, nothing sweeter, nothing more beautiful, and nothing more true than that. That's uh, that's our confidence. And that's the Amen. whole reason Jesus Amen. has a church on earth, so that we would know that and be his children. Amen. Josh, any final words, brother? That that was beautiful, man. Uh, I, I, you know what? I mean, I, I wish we had another hour to talk about narrative because I really like the way that you laid that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, I wouldn't be offended if you wanted to come back on, I'm not, you know, uh, at some point, <laughs> please do. that'd be cool to have, you know, something that's a talk, maybe more centered around specifically the, the kind of layout and the way that you guys look at, uh, uh, you know, administering uh, the sacrament and, and things like that. I kind of, I, like I said, you got my my curiosity gears going. So yeah, yeah. You know, just thank you in general. Really, I, I I feel like this was my privilege, and I appreciate um, just your willingness to to engage and your your you have really great manners. I just really appreciate you. So thank God, you. God be praised. No, you guys, thanks for having me on. I'd love to come back. Let's, so let's plan it. Whatever you guys, when you're free, we'll see if we can work it out with the schedule. And thanks for everyone listening too. If there's questions, yes. you, people just send them to me on the website and we'll try to get in touch keep in touch. So absolutely. And real quick, um, Pastor Wolfmuller, where can people find you at again? Yeah. W- the best place is wolfmuller.co is the website and you can find the podcast and YouTube and everything. I mean, if you just search for Wolfmuller, all my brothers are jealous because they they uh, they don't come up on the search. You'll find all the stuff. So. And come to Austin, Texas, and visit. Uh, it'd be great. I'll take you out for a cup of coffee. So, right on. Sounds good. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you all for listening in. This has been the Complete Sinner's Guide, and we are out. Thank you all. God bless. Good night, and we will see you next time. See ya. <laughs>